For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. For the 124th time, Stanford and Cal will meet in the big game. And even though there are no rankings or big bowls, or for Stanford, any bowls at stake in this go-around, the axe is still up for grabs. And in this rivalry, that's all you need. We're talking big game on this big edition of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network, Thursday, November 18th, 2021. Big game week is here, and that means Stanford versus Cal down on the farm. 4 p.m. kickoff for the 124th meeting between Stanford and Cal. Great to have you with us on this episode of the show. I am indeed Troy Clarity. Hey there, hi there, ho there. Thank you so much for joining us. You're going to hear a lot of different voices on this episode of the show. Uh, you're going to hear from David Shaw, a little story time with Stanford head coach uh, David Shaw a bit later on. Looking forward to bringing you that. We're also going to be caught up. We're also going to catch up with two special guests. Stanford junior safety Jonathan McGill, finally about to make his season debut when he makes it in big game, one of the leaders of this team. What's it been like for him watching this year on the sidelines? And what does he remember about what happened the last time these two teams met? Jonathan McGill will talk with him. And I'm really looking forward to bringing you this conversation. We're going to go into the time machine 30 years back to 1991. Oh, that big game had just about everything. Certainly the buildup with the hype and the hoopla and the trash talk too. And the Stanford player who played a starring role in that week's buildup, left tackle Bob Whitfield. But unlike the Cal players who were chirping that week, Bob not only talked the talk, but he walked the walk. Bob Whitfield is going to join us on this episode of the show as well. Looking forward to getting his thoughts on uh, that 1991 meeting between Stanford and Cal and what he's been up to since his productive NFL career. You might remember his son, Cody, uh, making big plays for Stanford from the wide receiver spot just a few years ago. So our special guest, Jonathan McGill, and also Bob Whitfield, and you. Thank you so much for being with us here on the show. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, I highly suggest that you do so. We're available via your favorite listening app or device. And if you haven't given me the follow on Twitter, hey, you can do that too, at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. Appreciate it when you give me the follow. Also appreciate it when you subscribe, download, listen, rate, review, and react. I'm not asking for, for that much, but certainly thank you to all those of you who have done all of those things. And thanks in advance to those of you who will do those things as a result of listening to this show. 
Stanford versus Cal, and uh, the Cardinal won last year's big game, played under just bizarre circumstances, of course, uh, COVID-19, uh, m- a much bigger thing than it than it is now. That game, of course, played with no fans in the stands, and Stanford won last year thanks to Thomas Booker's big block, the extra point block inside the final minute of the play, and Stanford won that one 24-23. Thomas Booker etching his name in big game immortality last year. Who will be the hero this year? That's among many of the things that are going to have to be sorted out this upcoming Saturday on the farm. Can't wait for that. Got to bring you three things you need to know about big game. But first, this reminder that Bet Online is back and better than ever. They have a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, let's hop to it. Three things you need to know about big game. Let's start with number one. <laughs> And it seems like every week for Stanford this year, especially this year, is dictated by the injury report. And this week's no different, except this week, that could, that could be a good thing. After Wednesday's practice, David Shaw confirmed that Cardinal quarterback Tanner McKee is a go for Cal. Tanner, of course, had missed the Utah and Oregon State games with a lower body injury. Now that McKee is set to be QB1 this week, who's behind him, especially given... Who's taken snaps for Stanford the past couple of weeks? On Tuesday, I asked David Shaw how the rest of the QB depth chart was looking. Right now, I just listed Isaiah Sanders. Uh, I'm going to let the rest of it shake out. Uh, Ari Patu uh, will be out this week as well. Um, couldn't finish the game. It was just really getting comfortable. It would have been great to see him finish that game because I think he was just getting more and more comfortable. And um, we're excited about some of the things we had coming up for him. Uh, but Ari will be out this week. So, um, just listed Isaiah Sanders uh, as two, and then we'll see what else happens there. Yeah, I I would imagine that it's Dylan Plotz at this rate in favor of Jack West. Um, If someone else needs to take more conventional snaps, uh, then Isaiah Sanders would be available for, but but who knows? Good injury news elsewhere. Caillou Blue Kelly missed Oregon State, but Shaw says he's definitely in, so Stanford getting their best players on offense and on defense back for the Bears. Running back E.J. Smith Questionable on Tuesday, but after Wednesday's practice, Shaw declared Smith good to go for big game. Inside linebacker Ricky Miazon and tight end defensive end Tucker Fisk also probable. So is safety Jonathan McGill. We'll talk to him in a bit. Uh, the injury news not necessarily all good. Inside linebacker Tristan Sinclair and uh, wide receiver Elijah Higgins questionable. And as you heard Shaw say, Ari Patu is out. And I'll add to that this. Right guard, right tackle, Branson Bragg is out for the year with the injury he suffered last week in Corvallis. But by and large, good injury news for Stanford this week. Been a while since that's been the case. Let's move on to number two. 
And the last couple of weeks have not been ideal for Cal. They played shorthanded at Arizona due to COVID. Then its game against USC was postponed to December 4th, thanks to 44 lab-confirmed positive tests within the program. Bears have had to jump through more COVID hoops and pass through more layers of protocol than even Stanford does and has had to. So given all of that, is playing big game this week still in any doubt? Here was David Shaw's answer on Tuesday. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's been dialogue between uh, our athletic departments, between our football ops um, people, just to make sure that the game is still viable. Um, I know a lot of those guys that missed the previous previous game, um, apparently those guys are, are back practicing um, from a lot of the, the, uh, the pauses they had the, the following week um, that postponed the USC game. Um, we're hearing that a lot of those guys are going to be back. Uh, so they'll be able to feel to, to feel a, a full team. Um, you know, that's first and foremost the concern. You know, we're all concerned with our student athletes. These are still college athletes. These are still young people. Uh, we want them to be healthy. Uh, but by all accounts, um, they're going to be able to feel a competitive team. Um, and uh, the big game is on. Well, that's certainly good to hear. And as I say this on Wednesday night, things appear to be continuing to trend in that direction. Let's wrap things up with number three. And yeah, it's big game week, and that usually means buzzing campuses, school spirits running high, and a lot of anticipation for the game itself. Stanford outside linebacker Gabe Reed on what big game week means to him. The emotion that comes with uh, playing in the big game, you know, the buildup from during the week, seeing the fountains have changed colors, and, you know, professors wishing us good luck. Um, during PowerPoint slides, like it's it's a really exciting time and uh, definitely one one game that's always kind of marked on our calendar where we're excited about you know just having fun and really embracing Stanford, uh, the Stanford family, Stanford community. So I think the highlights more so even than obviously winning and keeping acts is, is huge, but just the togetherness, emotion, and just high energy is, is something that really uh, stands out to me in terms of the big game. It's Gabe Reed. Meanwhile, Cardinal wide receiver Michael Wilson says that when he and the team take the field on Saturday, they'll be taking a whole lot of people with them. I think it's really special because you're playing for something that's bigger than yourself. Like there's so many past Stanford alumni involved, past football players. You're playing for the student body. You're playing for all the athletes, um, playing for the guys in the NFL and just like you're just playing for so much more than yourself right and then so many people have opinions on the game so many people are invested in the game so many people have poured so much into the stanford community and the athletics program that you just don't want to disappoint anyone because i've been on both sides i've been on the side where we won the axe i've been on the side where we lost the axe and there's no greater feeling than winning the axe and on the flip side of that there's no worse feeling than losing the axe i remember in 2019 we lost that and cow stole in our field i think that was the worst i've ever felt after a loss um, so just chasing that victorious feeling of holding the axe is, is what's pushing us this week. Michael Wilson, and even though the external stakes may be not quite as high as you would hope for big game to, to have, still, Stanford and Cal, it's a big game. That's all that needs to be said, right? Well, we've got a lot more to say. Uh, so <laughs> we've got a lot more content uh, on, on this show, but I think you know what I mean. 
Uh, those are three things. Well, certainly a lot was at stake in that 1991 big game. More on that with Bob Whitfield, one of Stanford's all-time greats, in uh, just a few minutes. Uh, the secondary, as we mentioned, uh, getting a couple of key pieces back this week for Stanford. We mentioned Caillou Blue Kelly. Certainly a welcome development there. And this is an even more welcome side. Finally, we're going to see Jonathan McGill on the field. The junior from Coppell, Texas, set to make his season debut after getting hurt over the summer and, and, and spending game days so far this year on the sidelines, but with an intriguing perspective on the game. We'll talk about that with Jonathan as I caught up with him after Wednesday's practice for our first chat together since the season ticket members dinner back in August. And, and back then, man, he was chomping at the bit for the season opener against Kansas State, which was, which was played like 20 minutes from his hometown in the Metroplex. Uh, McGill wasn't able to play in that game, so we started our chat on Wednesday with how much he's looking forward to playing in this game. <laughs> i was been talking to my teammates all week, talking to Coach Carroll, been saying it's like a kid in a candy shop. Um, you know, I'm just real happy to be back out here with the guys, be able to play. Um, finally, uh, a lot of work, a lot of dedication that I put um, this year, and then also kind of just going through this whole rehab process and physical therapy. So it's just giving me a whole new appreciation for the game. So finally get to put the headset down for this week. Pretty happy about that, um, and I'll pick the helmet up. Yeah, you, you, I mean, obviously you've been making the road trips, you've been on the sidelines, you've been totally engaged, and you've, you just mentioned you've been wearing the wearing the headsets and kind of listening to the coaches and kind of, I'm sure, offering up your own tips as well. How has this experience, even though you'd rather be out there, kind of maybe changed a bit of your perspective on some things that maybe you hadn't experienced in, 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 about the game? Yeah, so for sure. So for me, uh, I want to say Coach Anderson, Coach Akina, um, and Coach Shaw have all been real helpful. Um, since fall camp started and I knew I was going to be out for a little bit longer than expected, um, I went to Coach Anderson's office, asked him if he mind if I would sit in some defensive staff meetings just to, you know, hang out, be a fly on the wall, and he was all for it. Um, and so he, he's been a great help for me. Um, Coach Akina has been green light on board, um, having me be a, you know, semi-GA, young GA. Um, and so that's been really cool. Um, and Coach Shaw has been real understanding. Um, he's ha had me travel with the team every week, um, even though I, you know, couldn't play. But, you know, he said my presence was something that the team needed. Um, and so, you know, just the coaching staff in general has given me a real good perspective, being able to see the X's and O's from a different perspective um, and picking up on teams' tendencies, um, first, second down, third down, red zone, all of that stuff. So being out um, has actually been a blessing in disguise for myself. So thanks to these coaches. Uh, mentally and psychologically, how has this road been for you the past few months? Yeah, so initially, um, I'd say it was a little bit hard um, getting the getting the news that, you know, you're supposed to be out for a certain amount of time. Um, and, you know, that was kind of rough um, for myself. But, you know, always had the guys, the team, my teammates, my family, um, and God that I've been leaning on. Um, and so I just, this whole opportunity um, mentally could have been a lot worse. But, you know, thanks to, thanks to my family, thanks to my friends, my teammates, my brothers, um, and God that I've just made it through and you know I'm glad to say that I'm I'm on the other side of it it's been interesting and fun watching this secondary uh, throughout much of the year especially earlier in the season uh, Kai Blue Kelly pretty much needs no introduction right now he's back and available for this game um, really fun seeing Alakai Gilman grow at other points throughout the season Jimmy Wyrick making big plays earlier this year uh, take me through the year as you've seen it from the secondary standpoint so far? Yeah, um, I'd say that uh, our secondary has been playing really well. 
um, all season. I know uh, we don't like to get into stats all that much, but I know yards per attempt um, is a stat that we do value um, because every time the quarterback throws the ball, we want to try to limit as much yardage. And I know that we've been um, pretty good in that statistic. Um, you know, from Caillou showing his veteran presence, um, leading by example at the corner position, you know, Ethan Bonner getting the opportunity to play earlier in the season and then, you know, injuries hit him, but he came back these last, you know, two games and played really well. Um, Salim doing the same thing at the corner spot. Um, and then safeties, you know, ever since Alakai came in, I've been, you know, real big on him um, since last year, him practicing, just seeing how he works um, in practice, giving it his all. You know, he's not the, the biggest guy in the room, um, but he'll definitely make you feel it. Um, and so that's something that I've loved to see. And then Jimmy, um, since his day one coming in here, I thought he was going to be really special. Um, he has a knack for the game, has a feel for, you know, feeling the quarterback zone coverage, real good player. Um, and so just love seeing those guys grow, you know, especially from week one to week 10 and you know now I can say that we're all fully healthy um, and so that's something that's going to be real beneficial for us getting guys that have you know the best teams are the teams that have depth and you know we're starting to get that back with Caillou coming back and you know me coming back and you know giving Noah and Kendall opportunity to get a break um, and so it's going to be something that's going to be real big for us for these next two games. Yeah, no doubt about that especially starting this weekend's Cal we'll talk about that here in a moment or so but I, I think if you made the case that maybe safety is perhaps one of the more misconceptualized positions out there for fans because let's face it you know when you're watching on tv many times you don't see the safeties especially when they're lined up uh, out in coverage or except when they're up up towards uh, closer toward, towards the line of scrimmage so maybe a lot of folks maybe not quite as hip to safety play the nuances of it as maybe other positions that you generally see all the time uh, for those who need to know what playing safety is all about some of the nuances that you need to keep in mind what are some of those things some of those things include being physical enough to stop the run, uh, being physical enough and fast enough so when you see a puller, when you see a guard coming at you, you're not going to back down. Uh, some of that nuances in, include covering the slot. Um, you know, Kyle Phillips is a guy from UCLA. Like, Kendall had to guard him, had to guard um, the other tight end, DeLuch. Um, and those guys are, you know, you got to do it, be it all. You have to be a vers versatile guy. Um, so be a Swiss Army knife, be able to tackle like a linebacker, be able to cover like a corner, um, and be able to communicate like a quarterback. Um, in the center. So those are just some of those little nuances that go into it, being able to feel the quarterback, feel rhythm of the game, down and distance, all that kind of stuff um, kind of revolves around safety play, and that's the reason I love it so much. Oh, and tackling, too. You guys oh. make, get to make some big sticks every once in a while. Exactly. Big hits. Uh, you know, ball gets up in the air, be a ball hawk, be a game changer. Um, so that's just, you know, some of those things that I love, taking, away, taking a ball away and being a physical presence. We'll talk about Cal this year in just a moment, but let's go back to Cal last year and I was in that stadium bizarre circumstances bizarre settings no fans in the stands the axe all by itself above the Cal sideline until the very end when Thomas Booker makes the block and y'all get out of there with the win just just take me back through that day as you remember it yeah, so I'd say that day started off with all of us as a team. You know, we lost those first two games of the season last year, and, you know, we all really, you know, came together during that time, realizing that losing wasn't going to be acceptable um, at that time anymore. Cal was a big game. We all remembered what happened on our stadium, in our field on 2019, um, where, you know, Cal did beat us at home, and they charged the field. Their fans stormed the field. So it was just some of the things that we remembered and just gave us extra chip on our shoulder going into that game leaning on each other and having an unwavering mindset that no matter what happened throughout the game that you know at when the score was zero 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 
Stanford was going to get that axe back. Um, and so that was just the mindset we had going through that week. Uh, you know, Thomas made some huge plays. Houston made some huge plays. Mike Wilson made some huge plays. Um, you know, Simi Fajoko made some plays. Davis Mills made some plays. Austin Jones. So just a collective effort from offensive, defensive. Salim made a forced fumble. Um, and so just things like that. Um, you know, Kendall chased the running back down. He thought he was going to score a touchdown. So just all three phases of the game, we all played together collectively for, you know, however long that it was going to take, if that was going to go into overtime, it was going to go into overtime. But lucky that uh, Thomas got that right hand up, I want to say, and, you know, forced us not to go into overtime. And I'll never forget, as the game went along, y'all had to bring your own energy, obviously, in mm -hmm. every single stadium that y'all had, uh, had to go through. But it was especially apparent that day. Mm -hmm. And hearing the Stanford sideline get louder and louder and louder as that game went along, that part was pretty cool too. Oh yes, sir. We love we love bringing our own juice. Um, so that's something that we try to do each and every day out here on the practice field. Um, motivate each other. Um, you know, practice for each other, play for each other. Because at at the end of the day, that's all we have. Um, and so anytime we see any of our brothers make a play, whether that's offensive, whether that's defensive, whether that's a special team, Sandy makes a great punt. Um, we're gonna get fired up about it because we all know at the end of the day that you know it's a team game and it's a collective sport. So as long as we succeed, we're all gonna succeed. All right, let's talk about the Bears this year, up and down season for them, but still got some personnel that'll certainly uh, make you lose some sleep at night, perhaps. And it all starts with that quarterback, number seven, Chase Garbers. Your thoughts when you look at the tape of the Cal offense? I think they're really good. Um, I think they're a versatile offense. They do enjoy 12, 13 personnel, but they'll also give you some, you know, 12 or 13 personnel looks in 11. Um, they use their tight ends and, and receivers in different scenarios. You'll look on the tape, and, you know, a receiver will be in a three-point stance trying to kick out a DN. And and so that's that's something that um, is very unique to the Cal's offense. I, I do admire how much they try to run the ball. And then on top of that, you know, they still, I think, are number one when it comes to taking shots downfield in the Pac-12. Um, so they do enjoy throwing the ball deep. Um, I did get a chance uh, this 4th of July um, to talk to, you know, Nico Remigio and uh, Kakoa Crawford and also Chase Garbers. Um, and so that was just a fun seeing them outside of the football helmet. But um, can't wait to compete against those guys, uh, see what say what we have for this weekend and, you know, just do our best. All right, let's wrap it up on this. Keys for Stanford to holding on to and retaining the axe. What's it going to take on Saturday? Uh, I think it will come down to, you know, two things. We say this all the time, but I definitely will say it's going to come down to blocking and it's going to come down to tackling. Um, just the fundamentals of the game, being able to, you know, consistently do your job each and every play um, and then obviously rallying off each other's energy knowing that no matter what's going to happen at the end of the day when the score is or when the you know scoreboard is zero 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 that we're going to come away with that axe um and so we're going to play for each other we're going to play as hard as long as it takes um and at the end of the day we're going to have that axe looking forward to it and looking forward to seeing you back out there thanks a bunch as always appreciate the time best of luck best of health and we'll talk again soon yes sir thank you always enjoy chatting and uh, catching up with uh, jonathan mcgill uh fantastic ambassador for the stanford football program good stuff for him uh, great that he's been doing uh, all the great things that he's been doing off the field and uh, with his leadership uh, skills that he's been able to hone, I'm sure, this year. Uh, good to hear all of those things from uh, Jonathan himself. Uh, he mentioned Nico Remigio. Good Lord, he carved Stanford up two years ago. I, he, he brought up that name and I started having flashbacks. <laughs> but outside of that, really enjoyed that chat uh, with Jonathan McGill. 
McGill, of course, finally making his season debut. Uh, those of us outside the program uh, weren't completely aware of the extent uh, of the injury that he suffered during the summer until uh, the first injury report that uh, David Shaw gave uh, before week one, before that season opener. And part of that injury report was that McGill was going to miss most of the season at that point with his injury. And, and unfortunately, that that ended up being the case. And injuries have no doubt been a major subplot for Stanford football in 2021. Again, it was certainly one back in 2019 as well. And uh, injury prevention ha- has been a focus. And it's, you know, if, if, if you made the case that that injuries have, have sabotaged the season and submarine Stanford season this year, I'd be right there with you. Uh, quarterback has been getting the most attention lately with Tanner McKee missing the last couple games. But but Stanford also hit hard at safety, at running back, at wide receiver, on the defensive line, at the inside linebacker spot, the outside linebacker spot, and cornerback as well. Did I miss anybody? <laughs> Pretty much the offensive line has remained largely intact. And even now, uh, that's being tested with Branson Bragg being done for the year. Miles Hinton, I would imagine. Uh, would uh, play all snaps now at right tackle. Football's obviously a rough game. We know this. And injuries are going to happen. And every team is banged up, especially this time of year. I asked David Shaw what what Stanford can do during the offseason, especially, to help limit injuries. It's the number one thing of our entire offseason. It's number one. Top of the list is, is to prevent injuries. And then to be as explosive and fast and strong as we can be and as flexible as we can be. Um, You know, this year has been crazy. Um, There's not a lot of soft tissue things, right? You can prevent some of the soft tissue injuries, the hamstrings and all that stuff, but it's the lowest number of hamstrings we've had in years, um, which we've never been really high, but really low. Um, You know, we don't give you guys a lot of details, so not going to, you know, apply these to anybody, but I mean, we've had more broken bones this year than maybe ever before hands and wrists. I mean, you can see, you know, at any given time we're playing, playing the game with three guys in casts, um, let alone um, ankles and um, knees and uh, other, other body parts that are collision related. So this year, even more so than 2019, um, this year they've been, these are collision injuries um, that just happen in football. And uh, it's been really unfortunate. Um, you know, guys have had to, had, to, had to bounce back and our training staff's done a great job of getting guys back when they can come back. Um, but the number of broken bones this year for us is um, most we've ever had, probably more than any two years combined that we've had in my 15 years here. Um, so um, there are a lot of things that we always work on, um, you know, things that we can try to prevent, but, you know, the collision injuries, the, the getting rolled up injuries, those just happen in football, and we had just more than our fair share this year. Yeah, thoughtful stuff from David Shaw and uh, collision injuries causing more broken bones than he has seen in any two years combined in the time that he has been on the coaching staff at Stanford going back 15 years or so. So, you know, it sounds like that's, you know, and, and, and you hate to attribute it to this, but it sounds like it's just, it's just luck, right? And, and we mentioned this. Football's a rough sport. Injuries are going to happen. 
And you have to, you know, be in, in some sense lucky more often than not. It's one of the things that you have to have. It's kind of a, a prerequisite for being able to do big things in any given season, especially for Stanford. That being said, I also have a feeling that a full and complete offseason of workouts and strength and conditioning, that might help things out a little bit too. So injury prevention, normally a, a big focus for Stanford in any given offseason. I have a feeling it's going to be an even bigger focus in this upcoming offseason. And hopefully those results are seen in 2022 with Stanford avoiding the injuries that it has suffered en masse the last two fully played seasons now. Well, here it is. It's big game week, and I figured we'd spend some time by going back into the Wayback Machine for a moment. And no one better to do that with this week anyway than one of the all-time Stanford football greats who played in two of the most memorable big games. We'll focus on one of them in, in specific because it's been 30 years since the 91 big game. The hype, the hoopla, the buildup, and this guy played a central role the week of and certainly the day of that game. A two-time first-team All-American, the number eight overall draft pick in the 1992 NFL Draft, played for the Falcons, the Jaguars, and the Giants in the NFL. And oh, by the way, a Stanford Athletics Hall of Famer. It's a pleasure to be joined by the one and only Bob Whitfield. What up, Bob? Thanks for talking to us today. How you doing? Hey, thank you. Thank you for the great intro. I'm, I, 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 my gray hair would have aged me enough. <laughs> you reminded me. It's, it's been that long ago. I had to go back and, and relive those highlights. And as soon as I started watching and hearing Brent Musburger talk, I was like, oh, I'm back in the farm during, <laughs> during that year playing Cal all over again. Well, I'm, I'm class 97, so I'm not too far behind you. And yeah, it certainly is kind of, kind of mind-blowing to think of, of how much time has elapsed since then. But, but even now, you know, almost 30 years after the fact, what does big game week, Stanford versus Cal, what does that still mean to you even now? I think it's one of the greatest robberies in all of sport. And I think what you have is you have two quality uh, student bodies, two quality institutions that get together on a Saturday and play a great football game. I think you can throw the records out. And I think it's just more of, I guess, Bay area supremacy who has the best team. But I think with, with reliving that moment from way back then, it was just one of the things we were indoctrinated to about the acts and just about the traditions and, and just, this is a game you must win. It was one of those things is like, you have to win this game. Yeah, most of your season depends on your overall record for getting into bowl games. But one of your pride victories is beating Cal. And certainly that is the case again this year for both of these squads. No postseason on the line for, for either squad. At least there is for Cal. Uh, they still have a chance. But for Stanford, it's all about retaining the ax. And I'm hard-pressed to think of a big game. He obviously played in the 1990 big game, which was just super incredible. And the finish was just absolutely nuts. That may have been the more amazing game, but this game I suspect may have been the sweeter one, but 
all told, I, I can't imagine perhaps a bigger buildup and more hype for a big game than that 1991 squads. Uh, both teams ranked, both teams having fantastic seasons. And of course, the talk starting during the week with Brian Treg saying, hey, if we lose, I'll live in Palo Alto. You clap back at him saying we're going to bust them up. They're 9-1, but they ain't good enough to beat us. And it just went on and on and on. Uh, I'll get to the game itself in a bit, but just, just take me through the week that led up to that game and the buildup and the hype and just, just how it was going through all of that. I guess you can say the nerds were talking a lot of trash. <laughs> we were building it up. We were hyping it up. And I think it was more because at that, at that time, at that moment, we were still trying to garner respect in the Pac-12 because, you know, you had the behemoth programs at USC, UCLA. It was Pac-10 then, sorry. But we definitely wasn't going to let Cal shine on us, even though they had a great record that year and they had some powerhouses on offense with Treggs and Dawkins and Pawlowski at quarterback. But it was one of those things was like, they're not going to shine on us. We're going to go into this week with this swagger and this confidence. And I know everybody from the Stanford side, me, Darren Gordon, Emmanuel Bartplange, we were the guys that's like, look, not only are we going to like beat them, we want to whoop them, we want to intimidate them, we want to set the tone. And it's just one of those things is that we didn't know any better. <laughs> It was the thing like, what do we got to lose? <laughs> Speak it up, talk it up, hype the moment up. And it was just get it to be a true big game. And it certainly was 85,000 plus in, in the old Stanford Stadium and uh, Stanford breaking away uh, from a 10 7 halftime lead. Some guy named David Shaw made, made a clutch catch uh, right before the half, if I remember correctly. Wonder what happened to him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that guy, that guy. And then Stanford broke it open and won 38 to 21. Take me through the game day itself as you remember it. I, I remember when we were just coming out. And I don't know if they changed the rules by then, but I just remember we used to do this little run where we would jog around the stadium, like jog around the field, and then we go to our warm-up side. And I just remember when we got to the 50, their whole squad moved up. So it started then where you might have thought, oh, we're about to have a pregame brawl that happens. And I think it was great animosity just leading into before even the kickoff where it was so intense it was it was so hot the crowd was so into it they were game they were talking the mess and we weren't going back down especially on our home field so even getting into the competition it was just it, we knew I, I hate to say it, we knew it was going to be a brawl of some sort, but we still need to break open some big plays because we had touchdown Tommy and we was going to run the ball. But like you said, we hit D Shaw with a great pass and it was just, we were throwing the ball. We were doing a lot of other things. And then we still had enough umph to power with some running games. But I really enjoyed that first pregame moment where it was like, oh, this is going to have a nice pregame fight. <laughs> <laughs> Set the tone, and it was a brawl for the remainder of the game. Tommy Vardell uh, with 182 yards on the ground and uh, three touchdowns um, as well. And I, I think it's safe to say that that game may have been the peak 
of the Denny Green era during his time as head coach um, on the farm. And certainly that 91 team, uh, yourself up front, uh, Tommy Vardell, Glenn Milburn, a young Steve Stenstrom, and some defensive guys who were really starting to come into their own. That 91 team was a pretty nice squad. What made them dangerous? Oh, that team, we, we definitely had, I, I said, we had a plethora of guys that just were out there to make plays. I might have been a big personality on that team, but I think everybody had a player's personality. They knew how to, on defense, Tyrone Parker, he knew how to shoot to make a big play early in the game. You know, I think it was uh, Wet Night was that tight end making big plays. And it was, it was and even Stinney, after uh, throwing some early interceptions, coming back and throwing excellent balls down the field. And then Mill B, Glenn Milburn just was always clutch for us, whether he was uh, coming out of the backfield or lining up in the slot. And I think we just had enough arsenal that we were able to mix it up, spread it around. And when I went back and watched the tape, I was like, oh, man, Bob, you <laughs> you had a couple bad plays in that game. <laughs> I had to withstand. I was like, ooh. So I, I, it was a tough game even for me just – because they were a great team, and it, I think we matched up well. I think they had key guys on, on and their team that can make plays. Dawkins making plays on Ron Waddell. It was one of those things that we had to be in that game the whole time. Uh, Lynch, John Lynch, everybody was out there just saying, all right, let's make plays, let's make plays. And when we were making those plays, we were getting leads, and we were keeping those leads. So I don't think we ever let them get back into that game. And I think we just try to keep, you know, the pressure on them. And it was probably one of the funnest big games that I can remember just in the sense of it was just two of the biggest, like it was just energy in that stadium. Yeah, yeah, it must have been absolutely incredible to uh, to be a part of. Uh, Stanford, of course, wrapped up that season by going to the Aloha Bowl. That was your final game in the Cardinal uniform. After that, you went ahead and embarked on the NFL career, very distinguished, uh, the stops in Atlanta and Jacksonville and the New York Giants along the way. And then after all that, you came back and got your Stanford degree. Of course, you'd been had a hand in a bunch of things, uh, CEO, broadcaster a- along the way as well. But you went back and finished up your Stanford degree. How important was that to you to finally get that thing hanging on your wall? Well, it was uh, a promise that was made to my mom. So it was kind of like the only way that I was going to get out of Stanford. And I promised it also too. me and uh, Jan Steele, who was one of the um, advisors there at Stanford. It was like, who's going to come back first? Who was going to get back to school first? Because we had a, a couple Olympians that were there, and uh, Summer Sanders and uh, Janet Evans, and we were all going out and playing you know, sports on a, a higher level. So it was like, who's going to come back? So it was one of those things that it took me a minute. It took me a whole NFL playing career, but I knew that promise I made to my mom, and I knew I was going to come back. So it was great to actually go back on the farm go to my get my senior year done when my son Cody was just coming into Stanford. So it was like the movie with Rodney Dangerfield going back to school where I'm on campus with my son and I walk into my normal hangout spot and guess who's at <laughs> Trasiter Union in my spot? Like, yo, dude, <laughs> this is where I sit. You got to run up my spot. Get up out of here, man. <laughs> but 
I just knew it was an important thing because it wasn't just about football with going to Stanford. It, it was really making the most out of the education experience. And I knew that I just didn't want to leave it at three and gone. I wanted to leave it at four and done. So it was great to get back on the farm. I was a little age going to class with the senior class that was still young. And my memory on some of the uh, coursework, I had to get tutors and, <laughs> and, my, and those classmates that I met that year for the first time, they were so helpful because they kind of, they kind of enjoyed that they had an old man in class with them that was still an underclassman trying to finish his degree. So it was great experience, even that, to get back and finish. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about uh, Cody and uh, obviously the, the, the catch that he made against UCLA that is still absolutely eye-dropping. But, you know, he played for Stanford football. Obviously, you did as well. I remember bumping into it at a Stanford football pro day a few years ago, and you were looking around at the TV cameras and the set, and you go, wow, my pro day certainly wasn't like this. How different was his college football experience just by, just by how different the sport is now with all the other stuff that's around it and surrounding the sport right now? Given that, how different do you suspect well, his college football experience I know experience one thing. I don't – I don't remember. Did we have lights then? <laughs> I don't remember us having lights then. Not so permanent ones. We, it, you know, it was daytime games mostly. So when you seeing how that team under uh, uh, David Shaw took, because I, I said our team way back then, we started having swag. We started having where we were changing the uniforms. <laughs> And 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 Denny would get mad because we're coming out with spray painted shoes, and he's like, "Those are not the shoes I issued you. What happened to them? Well, we spray painted them, coach, because we want to get our swag up." But then you see Stanford wearing black uniforms, and it was just that level of umph that the program has turned. The stadium even got a makeover, you know. So it was just now football looked like football at the other schools, you know? So it was like Stanford football during Cody's era became big time football. You know, you you look at it, it was like, well, oh, it compares to what you see from the Notre Dame, you know, from the SCs where this is big time power five football and we got world-class players, world-class athletes, but world-class citizens out there doing a great job. So it was great to experience again that level of energy going back to those Stanford games with my son, Cody, him making that great play against UCLA. And now he's down there coaching at UCLA. <laughs> so what an irony is that he makes a great play against him as a receiver. Now he's down there coaching as a graduate assistant on the secondary. So <laughs> it was just a, a happy turn of events, but it was, it's all happening just because of how football really changed into a powerhouse at Stanford. As we wrap this up, obviously this isn't the kind of season that Stanford uh, wanted. Things look pretty good after the win against Oregon. They were three and two, but they haven't gotten back into the win column since then. Um, injuries, inefficiencies on defense. Uh, the offensive line, unfortunately, has struggled for much of the year. But you know what? The ax is still at stake. What would you tell this team to get them ready for this game? Well, you know what it's about. It's about playing your best ball that night. You can leave the record behind and you can leave all the misfortunes 
of a season that had its ups and downs behind because you can focus in and, and at least, and I, I hate to use it like salvage it, but I think winning this game does help set a tone. And yeah, there's still a bigger one after that, but this would be basically the catalyst of that two game winning streak that you would need to going into the end of the season, into off season, into recruiting, into spring ball, is that if you can go in beat Cal, keep the ax, and then turn around and face a top 25 team in Notre Dame, that is a momentum builder. That's how you build for the future, and that's how you build and make this a prideful year, even if the record doesn't show it. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with Stanford. Always means something when it's Stanford versus Cal, no matter the sport, and that is especially the case in football. One guy who certainly knows that is the one and only Bob Whitfield. Bob, thanks a bunch. Really appreciate the time. Hope you enjoyed this chat as much as I did. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, and we'll talk again soon. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Well, I really had fun with that chat with Bob Whitfield. I uh, really appreciate that uh, that he could uh, spend some time um, with us. Man, the trash talk. <laughs> the trash talk. That, that 1991 big game week with Bob Whitfield saying, yeah, we're going to bust Cal up. <laughs> they're they're 9-1, but they ain't good enough to beat us. And Brian Treggs obviously saying what he said that, uh, you know, he would – he would live in Palo Alto if, if if Stanford beat Cal and then Mike Pulaski started chirping as well. Could you imagine in this day and age, could you imagine that kind of trash talk leading up to big game these days? <laughs> I mean, we've had none of that. Zero, at least as far as I, I know anyway. None of that stuff as part of the buildup for this edition of the big game. <laughs> They're kind of fun to look back on, and, and wow, the you know that 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 was a little bit before my time. My first big game was 1993, a, a big game that I would rather not remember on the whole. But 91, with both teams ranked, having very good seasons, with 85,000 plus in the house at Stanford Stadium, big game hasn't looked quite like that since is obviously, you know, Stanford and Cal have generally been in the same boat in the history of this rivalry, but they've generally, you know, been only playing for the Axe. And when one team's been doing great, the other team's been, been, been struggling. But it's been very, very rare that both Cal and Stanford have been riding high heading into big game week. That was certainly the case back in 1991. You heard Bob Whitfield's look back at 91. After Wednesday's practice, I asked David Shaw what he remembered about that day. Uh, plus a bonus question from Ben Parker at Rivals.com that elicits story time from David Shaw. Here's the exchange beginning with uh, David Shaw's look back at 1991. I remember touchdown Tommy Vardell. Um, and, you know, I just remember his shirt being kind of untucked because everybody just kept grabbing on him, but he never stopped. He felt like he just kept pulling people just kept pulling people. I don't know how many pass attempts there were, but I don't remember very many. I just remember watching this guy saying, this guy is like a superhero. You know, he had played well all year, but that year, um, and we were big up front, and we just ran it on everybody, and that one, that Cal game, I remember somebody made a big collage that was up for probably 20 years. It was up, I can't remember, it was in the old track house, and there were all kinds of pictures from that day 
but it was just one big picture of Tommy walking off the field. And I was there, I was close to whatever visual that was of him walking off, I was there and I saw him, and that, that's the picture for me, is a big smile on his face. Uniform was dirty and tatted, and, mm-hmm. and I was just thinking, like, I don't know who else touched the ball, but he carried it most of the game. You, you touched the ball. You had a, a nice little catch. Driving, driving, grab at the sideline. I, I, had, I had one. I, I, I maybe had two catches that game, something like that. Um, but I remember blocking a lot okay, that day, right. which <laughs> we were all happy to do um, because, it, it, you know, when you have great players, you know, you love when your great players are humble, and that's the way Tommy was. And it's like, okay, you're going to give me the ball? Okay, that's fine. But, like, he loved his offensive line. And once he got going, everybody wanted Tommy to do well. So uh, it's just one of those fun one of those fun games. But what do you most miss about playing football? You, you spent most of your full life as a coach, it seems like now. But just what do you most miss about being a player and that experience of it? Like almost anybody you ask, the two big things, right, is being in the group. Right? Even as a coach, you're not completely in the group. Right, you're leading the group, you're managing the group. You're not in the group, right? You're 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 not in the group that crosses the line that gets to go play. It's a special thing, right? Everybody's coming to the stadium to watch you do what you do. My dad says it all the time. Nobody comes to the stadium to watch coaches coach, right? They come to watch the watch the people play. Um, so being in that group is special. But then you do miss those moments, those highlight moments. Mm-hmm. Ooh, a really good release against a good defensive back. Mm-hmm. You know, a game-winning touchdown against San Jose State. Um, caught two touchdowns, one game against USC in the Coliseum. Like you remember those things. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So having those memories, and I talked to a bunch of my friends and former teammates, and sometimes you you're out. I'm out here watching, and I'm like, did I used to be able to do that? Like, could, there was one point in time I could actually run like that. Um, I actually raced Jay Simmons uh, the other day. We ran a play for him, and he kind of took off running. So I, I raced him, and I was like slightly ahead of him. And then after about 10 yards, he looked at me and he just just left me. Uh, so and I'm officially in that category that I can be beaten in a race by a fullback. Um, you know, it didn't used to happen, but uh, I think I'm 30 years past that being able to do that. But um, you know, to not be able to physically do it, but to have those memories, but to look at the way these guys are, like I, I wouldn't have played on this team. Like this group of receivers, I would have been on the scout team for four years, you know. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to play and I tell these guys all the time, I'm so jealous that any of us really give, give you know, whatever, just to play one more game uh, at that young and as fast as wherever we were in great shape. Because um, it it's, it's an unbelievable game that you don't find anything else like it once you leave the game. That's fun stuff from David Shaw. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that that's probably the closest that I've heard him come this year around the media anyway to being like he normally does during a Pac-12 football media day because that's all that's usually a, a good day for to, to hear him just kind of unplugged and a bit and, and unwind a bit and, and hear him tell stories and and things like that uh, that wasn't necessarily the case at Pac-12 football media day in LA this year because the coaches did not eat lunch with the media eh, you know we're st- COVID's still a thing, folks, and it certainly was back in July, so we weren't able to have that experience, but <laughs> neat stuff. Uh, neat stuff there from uh, from David Shaw as he looked back on Cal then. And you're going to hear a little bit from David Shaw as we turn the table to Cal now. The Bears come into the farm, and Cal at 3-6. and six. Last time they were on the field, they dropped a surprising loss at Arizona, and they scored just three points in the process. Wildcats 
with a 10-3 win. Wildcats have been playing better the last couple weeks. Bears didn't have 24 players available for Tucson. Seven of those guys were starters, including quarterback Chase Garbers, the Bears' leader and the guy who made the biggest plays in big game two years ago. The Bears, of course, shorthanded a couple weeks ago in Arizona uh, because they're struggling with COVID protocols. David Shaw knows that when it comes to the Bears, it starts with the quarterback, but they also play as a team. I have all the respect in the world for the quarterback uh, who has just been a terror on us. Um, his athleticism, his, mo- his mobility, um, his, his game management, um, and then stepping up and making big plays uh, either in the pass game or, or taking off and running. Um, so um, uh, the last few years, especially with, with, uh, with Justin being there, these have been tight games. They've been hard-fought games. Special teams is going to be a big part. Um, how both teams play defense is, gonna, is a big part. And who can make, um, who can get turnovers or who can make a game-changing play. Um, you know, it's uh, this rivalry is, is as big as ever. Yeah, we'll touch back on that in a second. Meanwhile, defensively for the Bears, watch out for safety Elijah Hicks, who's got an interception in three straight games. That's not a bad stat to have underneath your belt. Cal's defense... Maybe not quite as effective as it has been over the past few years. That's been the hallmark of Justin Wilcox and has been something that was very evident right from day one when Wilcox took over that program, especially considering Sonny Dykes' approach to defense, which was basically none. (laughs) Justin Wilcox came on the scene and the Bears started tackling and hitting dudes right away. Cal's defense may be not quite as effective this year, but they've played much better of late, and they've done it without outside linebacker Coin Dang, the big tall guy, six foot six, and he was their best defensive player coming into the season. He hasn't played since week two due to injury. Just about every team in the country is banged up this time of year, folks. David Shaw on where that defense does its best work. The real trick is once you cross the 50, everything tightens up even more, right? So we're going through our red zone the other day, that red zone and goal line, and they just don't have a lot of plays because not a lot of people get down there. You know, they don't get down there inside the 10-yard line very often. And when you do get down there, they most of the time they make a kick. So um, that's, a, that's a big challenge for us. Um, we've been pretty good. One of the things we have been pretty consistent with throughout the year uh, has been our red zone scoring offense. Um, but these guys pose uh, a different threat than pretty much anybody we, we face because they're so long, because they're so physical, um, and because it's just they make it dirty down there. So um, it's a big challenge. Yeah, don't don't look now. Actually, I, I did uh, when I got home from Wednesday's practice. But, but Stanford has actually scored on 93% of its red zone chances. That's tied for third best in the Pac-12. And they've come away with touchdowns on 72% of their red zone chances. That's fourth best in the Pac-12. That kind of surprised me a bit. So, yeah, Stanford has actually done well in the red zone. That being said, Stanford also has 29 total red zone chances this year. That's tied for fewest in the Pac-12 with Colorado and Cal. And a reminder that the Bears have only played nine games. So once they get there, Stanford has done well getting points and touchdowns in the red zone. But first they got to get there which leads me into my keys for big game. Number one, 
Stanford's struggles in plus territory have been well documented on this show, especially it, it, it seems obviously everything came to a head in the Arizona State game and things have kind of improved in that in that department over the last, well, certainly Oregon State. Uh, but overall, the Cardinal have seemed offensively to save their penalties, their sacks, and their negative plays for once they cross the 50-yard line. Will they learn from their mistakes and not make any once they cross the 50? Number two, will Cal learn from its mistakes from last year's big game? I was stunned last year, sitting in the press box at Memorial Stadium in Berkeley, quiet stadium, only only sound I really heard was, was the Stanford sideline. I'll never forget that scene as long as I live. And the Bears trying to get back into the game by throwing their way into it when the running game was there the whole time. And they almost didn't figure it out until their very final drive. They got the touchdown, but, you know, Thomas Booker did what he did on the extra point. So will the Bears, whom I'm sure have seen the tape and are fully aware of Stanford's struggles in stopping the run, will they show more commitment to the ground game this year? In this go-around? And more importantly, will Stanford be ready? And third key I have is, is, is one thing that, that I'm going to be watching. Uh, you heard David Shaw say that he expects this game to be decided late. And, well, you know, that, that could very well be the case. As we all know, big games do tend to be decided late. But I think a lot of this game story could be told in the early going. Stanford's on track to get a lot of key players back. McKee, McGill, Caillou Blue Kelly, EJ Smith, Tucker Fisk, Ricky Miazon. That's a lot of key players coming back for Stanford this week. That's great. Love it. However, will Russ be a factor? How long will it take for them to get back and get their sea legs underneath them? Meanwhile, Cal didn't play last week. And seven of their starters didn't play the week before either. Bears couldn't have full practices last week. Could rust be a factor for the Bears as well, coming out the shoot on Saturday? The team that can get off to a faster start will certainly have a leg up as this game goes along. That being said, if this thing goes down to the wire, that would not surprise me one bit either. Your keys to big game. I welcome them. Best way to share your thoughts with me on big game or on Stanford football or on anything else really around Stanford athletics. Um, hit me on tree uh, on, on Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast, the best way to go. Uh, November, this is when it's all happening, man. Uh, both basketball squads are underway, both the women's and the men's teams. Back in competition, their regular seasons got going last week. Boy, a tough, a tough bummer for the uh, soccer programs. Uh, the men's soccer program not making it into the NCAAs. Uh, the women uh, losing in the first round matchup down at Santa Clara. So a little bit strange not to have soccer going still uh, this time of year. Uh, volleyball uh, still trying to stay in the mix for the NCAA tournament as well. So plenty happening around Stanford Athletics. You've got thoughts you want to share 
I always want to try to make the show as interactive as I possibly can. Hit me up on Twitter, hashtag TreeCast. We'll come at you next on Sunday with our recap, our breakdown, and our analysis of the big game. <laughs> Looking forward to it. You heard from Stanford outside linebacker Gabe Reed and Stanford wide receiver Michael Wilson. You also heard from David Shaw. <laughs> Love the story time with him. And a big time thank you to our special guests for this episode. Cardinal safety Jonathan McGill and Stanford Athletics Hall of Famer Bob Whitfield. That chat was fun. Hope you enjoyed it. Special thanks of all. Most of all, it goes out to you for checking us out on the show. Make it a habit if you haven't already. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. Back the pack and back the vac. And beat Cal. Talk to you Sunday on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.